0: You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla DeNano, a 2015 law school graduate. This episode is brought to you by Attorneyed. Attorneyed connects law firms and law students through assignment-based virtual internships. Their online platform allows you to utilize and vet talent, and they only work with top pre-vetted candidates. You can create an account today at www.attorneyed.com. A T T O-R-N-N-E-E-D.com. In episode 17, I am speaking with a media producer and lawyer. This guest uses his experience as a television sports producer to run an entertainment law practice. Based in Los Angeles, California, today's guest is Gordon Firemark. Welcome to the podcast, Gordon.
1: Hi, Kyle. Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, I am a dad and a husband, and sometimes I'm a lawyer, and I, I do a lot of teaching and podcasting, and, and I'm a bit of a creative and an entrepreneur, and either a renaissance man or a guy who has too much on his plate, one of, the, one of the other. Okay.
0: And you're in California?
1: Yeah. I live and practice in Los Angeles, and my practice has mostly been in the entertainment and media space. Hmm.
0: Entertainment law, is that... So that covers a lot of things. It's pretty generic, the term. Entertainment just means... Actor, producer, film, house, it could be anything.
1: Yeah, well, people will say, oh, entertainment law, that sounds really exciting. And what I say is, you know, it's really just business law in a really weird business.
0: Okay, I like it.
1: And it's an exciting business. And so a lot of the work is exciting and certainly we're talking about people and projects that become a household name, you know? And so it's fun in that way, but it's business law with some peculiarities in the nature of the business law.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like how you explain that though. It's business law with funky businesses and, and strange actors. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So you are known as the podcast lawyer. Would you explain a little bit more about that?
1: Well, when I discovered podcasting, first it was as a listener and having been a sound guy before I went to law school, I was sort of intrigued, and I'm a computer geek, and I like to play with my toys, and I had microphones, and (laughs) I heard this podcasting thing, and I was invited to be a guest on a show, and I thought, okay, that's a lot of fun, and that evolved into sort of a recurring guest on that show, Okay. and when that host stopped doing his show, I had the bug, and I had to keep it going, so I started my own show back in 2009 with a co-host, we do a show called Entertainment Law Update. And at the time I realized there's nothing out there to share about the legal stuff that relates to podcasting. Being an entertainment lawyer, I knew what the rules were for the most part. I went and I did the research and, you know, found out where the trouble spots are and the wrinkles that are different, and I thought, "Okay, I'll turn that into a book." So I wrote an ebook and started doing presentations at all the podcasting and blogging conferences and things like that. And pretty soon I've come to be known as the go-to guy for podcast related law stuff.
0: Yeah. And you started entertainment law update in 2009 and it's still the same format and everything from, from way back then.
1: Yeah. It's a monthly roundup of legal news stories related to the field of entertainment and media. So copyrights and trademarks and, you know, deals in the entertainment industry labor stuff, a little bit of antitrust, you know, all the fun stuff that yeah, <laughs> entertainment law gets to deal with.
0: Okay. Yeah. I was listening to the episode where you were live in Dallas. Oh yeah. So yeah, it's pretty cool. And is your show just monthly because of your schedule? It just works out better that way?
1: Yeah. You know, it, the preparation involved mm-hmm. in putting together an hour long review of entertainment law case law is pretty substantial. And yeah. we have a team, um, which makes it a lot easier, but to do it every week would be, yeah, it'd be a pretty big burden. Mm -hmm. And when we started, it was just the two of us, Tamara, my co-host and me. And um, as we built the team, it's gotten a little easier, but the format feels good. It's comfortable. And we've always got enough stuff to fill an hour Mm -hmm. and not waste time, you know?
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay. And you mentioned that you have an ebook. Is that different from the book that's selling on Amazon or did you turn it into a physical copy?
1: that's sort of a print-on-demand kind of a thing that's on Amazon. It's called the Podcast Blog and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide, and you can get it in PDF form online, or you can order it from Amazon and get a hard copy.
0: Yeah, so I was looking at it because I have trademarked the podcast name, which was a big deal for me because I was like, okay, As a lawyer, I have to think five, seven, 10 years on the road, right? Exactly. Do I want this to be a big deal? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My name is so simple. Do I want someone to steal it? No. So, but I thought it was the coolest thing ever when I got the report and it was like, thank you for filing. Here's all your stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so official.
1: Yeah. That's the fun stuff for us as lawyers to deliver to our clients too, because it's a milestone in their lives, essentially. It is. Kudos to you for getting it done rather than just letting it slide. Yeah. you will never know whether it mattered unless somebody else comes along and names their show. You're a lawyer or something like that as well. And then you'll be glad you did.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So it's funny that you have a podcast, but you also enjoy still being a guest. How does that work out? Does that play into your theater background?
1: I think it does to some extent. I think it's really just that I like the sound of my own voice enough that I want to hear it as often (laughs) as possible. (laughs) But, you know, for me, the podcast started as a way of positioning myself as an expert in my field. And so Hmm. going on other podcasts also helps me do that. And let's face it, podcasters listen to podcasts. So that's where they're going to hear about and find out about me. So it's good for me all around.
0: So I was reading about what you do every day. And I was like, okay, this guy's Superman. You spend your mornings creating content and in your afternoons doing more formal legal work, filing trademarks and copyrights and things like that. And then you also teach. What is it that you teach?
1: I teach a course on entertainment law at a local film school here. I teach uh, a course on intellectual property at a local fashion institute, the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising. And sometimes I teach a contracts law class in an online program at Pepperdine Law School. It's a master's in legal studies, not the law degree. But uh, that's an online course and it's it's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. What do you enjoy about teaching?
1: I think it's the sound of my own voice again. (laughs) No, you know, the the truth of it is the reward in in all of what I do really is helping people to get a deeper, clearer understanding of these frameworks of things that we operate within all the time. Mm -hmm. Most people don't ever think about, you know, the fact that we make contracts every single day of our lives. Most of the time it never becomes a thing. But knowing you know a little more about it is useful.
0: Yeah, were you able to dictate the syllabus or do you kind of follow the structure of the schools?
1: The entertainment law class was a class that I came into after the previous instructor decided to stop and there was a curriculum in place, but over the years I've been doing it I've shifted it and it's really become much more my own. The intellectual property class is something I created from the ground up, again with some input from other professors there, and the contracts law class was quite the opposite. It was a very rigidly defined curriculum that I just come in and teach the section. Yeah.
0: I loved contract law when I was in school. Yeah. I thought it was just so cool. I was like, wow, all of those things are contracts, you know, Hey, can I come over and mow your lawn for 20 bucks? Yep. I was like, wow. <laughs> like I just, I loved it. I thought it was so cool.
1: It's a lot of fun putting together the hypotheticals to talk about in class and, and get the students sort of minds churning as they, mm-hmm. as they start to figure out, okay, who was the offeror, or who was the offeree? When was the offer valid and when was it, you know, withdrawn or was it withdrawn? All that kind of, you know, fun contract formation issues are are, are, uh, interesting.
0: So you actually went to school to study film production. um, And you worked in television sports production. What was that like?
1: You know, so I'll I'll give you the whole backstory because it it goes a little farther back than that. When I was five years old, I was exposed to live theater and I fell in love with it. And I was really thinking I was going to be a theater guy my whole life. I mean, starting in high school, I was working in, uh, in the school theater, of course, but also professionally as a theater sound technician. I mentioned I was a sound geek. Mm-hmm. And I started college thinking I was going to be a theater major, but I was not an actor. And the theater program at the school where I went was mainly an acting program. So it okay. just wasn't a good fit. So I started looking around. So what else can I do sort of behind the scenes techie kind of stuff? And that was radio, TV, and film. It was only there that I even discovered any aptitude for the legal and regulatory kind of stuff, but decided not to go to law school straight out of college, came back to LA and began working for this cable channel that did live sports. And I had a truck and a crew and a deadline every couple of days where we had a game to cover or some kind of an event. And it was my job to make sure we got the satellite hooked up right and things happened on time. It was a very stressful, very high energy for a type A person kind of a job. And I loved it. I thrived on it. But sports was never my thing. And I really wanted to be in entertainment, film and TV, that kind of stuff. And so yeah. just as I was getting ready to make a change is when the Writers Guild went on strike in the late 80s. And it was going to be a long one. And so that's when the idea of law school came back. And okay, I'll do it. Okay. In my work as a lawyer, making, you know, when I work with clients making films and television shows, I have to know how the Writers Guild Collective Bargaining Agreement works. Okay. When I represent the producer, they're hiring the writer. I need to make sure that the contract I write is in accord with <laughs> the collective bargaining agreement uh, and how credit determinations are made and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And, it, and those things affect compensation. So definitely have to have a working knowledge of it. The most real interaction I have with the Guild itself is when a client has... A dispute with a producer or something like that, or a producer has a dispute with a, with a writer mm-hmm. and we're engaged in an arbitration or something like that. And I don't do litigation. So I usually had that often. I often ended up being a witness in those cases.
0: Okay. So law school was always in the back of your mind and now you had your opportunity and the time to do it.
1: I wouldn't say it was in the back of my mind. I was reminded about it when, okay. when there was no job opportunities for me to make a leap to.
0: I find that interesting because I didn't go to law school till I was 28. Hmm. So I had an entire career (laughs) in corporate America and it was just always in the back of my mind, like a nagging fly. It was just Hmm. like law school, law school, law school. And I was just, I knew I would regret it if I never went. So (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. I never had thought about going to law school until that day in college when one of my professors sort of suggested it and I kind (laughs) of fell on the floor laughing (laughs) about it. And then (laughs) as I started thinking about it, and then I called my parents. My dad was a doctor. My mom was in the healthcare field. And I said, you know, a professor suggests maybe I should think about going to law school. They said, aha, of course. <laughs> they had never hmm. thought of it either, but it made perfect sense to them. So it was one of those fortuitous. I'm glad somebody thought of it. <laughs> the rest is history, as they say. Yeah.
0: It's nice that someone saw that in you as well. Yeah. To spark that. Okay. Well, you know,
1: it's interesting. I never thought I wanted to be in the spotlight front and center. Mm-hmm. And now here in my life as a lawyer, teacher, or whatever else that, what do I do? spotlight spotlight front and center, but not, I'm not asking for people to praise my performance. I'm asking Mm -hmm. them to praise my, what I, what I know and how I share it.
0: When you went to law school, you were thinking about being a producer. And then now you actually are producing a couple of shows here and there. Did you find that law school did help prepare you for that?
1: Well, law school gave me the perspective and the business acumen that I didn't have, you know, Mm -hmm. having just done sound and lights and that kind of stuff. I probably would have developed it eventually, but it was a fast track to getting that information, that knowledge. And it is a new way of thinking about things and understanding how financing works, securities law, you know, those kinds of things definitely helps uh, as a producer, but I'm not saying it's a requirement. You know, there's lots of producers out there who (laughs) never touched a law book.
0: I'm just thinking, I'm like, this is so interesting. (laughs) Because you were in TV production with a crew and then now doing live theater. Do you prefer the live theater over You know, uh, TV. all
1: of the different media have their own fun parts and their own drawbacks. You, mm-hmm. know, you know, when you open a show and that, the lights come on and that curtain goes up, it is a freight train. It's going down those tracks and it isn't stopping until it gets to its destination.
0: Yeah.
1: Whether everybody gets there at the same time is what's fun and challenging. And that's the excitement there. With TV and film, the, the excitement is, it's different because you stop and you start and you you can edit, you can fix mistakes and things like that. So it's more rewarding in the sense of you get a, a closer to perfect outcome. But yeah, you don't have that direct interaction with an audience. You don't hear the applause in the moment. You hear it when you read the reviews the day after the show goes on the air or something like that. It's, a, it's just a different kind of feedback, different kind of experience, but they're all mm-hmm. positive and upbeat. And one of the things I love about my practice is that I get to do work in all of these areas and I get a taste of it here and a taste of it there, you know, with podcasting, it's about, you know, how many people listened and how many people downloaded the episode. Did anybody comment those kinds of things with theater? It's how loud was the applause? Did they stand up? Did they laugh in the right places? Those kinds. yeah Okay. Because I do have a theater law practice. I work with the producers, the writers, the the creators who are putting things up on stage, everything from the early rights acquisition and development, Part of it through raising the financing to put the show up, and you know through the whole production process. Each play or musical that you see running on Broadway or in England or or anywhere is really a standalone business. So it's like representing a startup from hmm. you know its whole life cycle. And then the show closes and they shut everything down, sell off all the assets, and close the company. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it's almost like being a general counsel to a company that has a very short lifespan.
0: Okay, so you mentioned your practice but you said that you never expected to formally practice. How or why did that change?
1: Well, when I say never expected to formally practice, I thought I would come out of law school. I might get a job working in house at a studio, and that would be my avenue to a career as a producer. And, you know, I never really thought about the fact you come out of law school with six figures of debt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The only really way, the only way you're going to be sure you're going to pay it back is having that law job that pays you enough to pay that back in a reasonably quick fashion. So practicing law was the obvious choice. I didn't think I would do it for long. And here it is now 29 years later. (laughs) I'm in my (laughs) 29th year. So um, I've been very fortunate because I'm a solo practitioner. I can pick and choose the cases. I can pick and choose the kinds of work I do. And I can decide, you know what? Yes, it's Tuesday afternoon, but I'm going to go do something else today. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, being the master of my own fate is is, uh, one of the things I love about the life that I've built for myself.
0: And you are licensed in California thinking about taking the bar exam in New York?
1: I have thought about it. I have, I've even downloaded the form, but I haven't pulled the trigger on actually going and doing it. And here it is now, you know, it's been 30 years of practice. I'm sort of leaning in a different direction and letting my law practice become the, the side hustle and, and letting my online education business become the main hustle. So I don't really need the New York license, I don't think.
0: Yeah. Although it'd be fun to be closer to Broadway.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I do have colleagues in New York and I'm of counsel to a New York firm. So I am able to work on Broadway projects and uh, it, it happens. I was also, I was born in England. So I actually have the immigration status where I could get licensed there and work in England as well. And uh, I've also downloaded those forms, but I haven't pulled that. <laughs> <laughs> You're just waiting
0: for the right moment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um So do you feel that law school diminished any of your creativity?
1: That's a really fascinating question. No, I would say it refined it. It honed it and and maybe narrowed it to a point. Yeah.
0: All right. So I'm trying in my mind to make it make sense, right? So during the day you're creating content to help entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. and then you're practicing and then you're teaching. So it almost sounds like you're really a teacher who just practices every now and then. I'm
1: just yeah. looking
0: at how you got here from where you want it to be. It's it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so. you know, it's all, it's it's not very linear. I'll agree with you on mm-hmm. that. What it is, is it's sort of been an organic growth in one direction, and then that sort of bubbles away for a while and then something else comes up and I, you know, when we first met my wife sort of jokingly, she teased me that I had five different jobs because I was, I was still working backstage in theater. I was doing sound sometimes. Yeah. And I was producing shows and I was teaching classes and I was running a law practice and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it's sort of true. I guess it's my version of the tension deficit disorder, <laughs> to be honest, but it's allowed me to sort of stay interested in all these different things. And I think I would, frankly, have just gotten really bored if I just stuck to one thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things that I find really exciting is being able to help people all across the spectrum. You know, there are some people who just, you know, they want things done for them. And as a lawyer, I can do it for them. Some people want to know all of the moving parts going on underneath and them I can teach. And Mm -hmm. some people want to know how to do it themselves or what they can do themselves before they need to bring in the lawyers. And for those folks, I'm creating online products and courses.
0: Yeah. It makes sense. I wonder how many other lawyers juggle We're like constantly doing so many other things because I definitely have to have my hands in five different things.
1: I mean, you know, there's an upside to that and that's the excitement and and being able to always stay interested.
0: The downside
1: is that without really precise focus, things, it takes longer to get where you're going.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, if you're always taking little side trips, oh, that looks interesting. I'll go over there. You're not making a straight beeline to a destination. My destination is enjoy the journey.
0: Which is so anti-lawyer, but it, it's not though, right? It worked out for you. Yeah. Um,
1: and I get to be home with my kids every night, have dinner with the family, breakfast with the family, take them to school And when we were allowed to take them to school. <laughs> I was taking them to school in the mornings. I think it's, it's all worked out the way I envisioned for myself. Yeah. Even though I never had a plan.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Gordon. Thanks, Kama. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. While you are here, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and tell a friend about this episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. Bye!